Well, thanks. This is a great opportunity to be here. It's been a lot of fun listening to all the history of the profession. A lot of stuff that we've heard before and a lot new details that I actually didn't know. So it's really great and thank you all for that. I wanted to give you a quick little update um, regarding the AAPA and the PA profession. So we know about the history and the first students being military corpsmen. In addition, now, currently, there are 75,000 clinically practicing PAs. Big difference than a few years ago. <clears throat> we'll talk a little bit about the trends within the um, demographics of the profession, specifically that 64% of the profession is now women, and the average salary is $89,000. That's a great opportunity for the profession as well. I go think back, when I applied to PA school, and uh, I should say the first time I applied to PA school, <laughs> I applied three times to get into the Child Health Associate PA program in Denver, Colorado. Each time they gave me something else to do. Right? So the first time they said, well, you really don't have any healthcare experience. What are you going to do to make that better? Well, what did I do? I went and I volunteered and I worked at an Easter Sills camp. Um, and then I came back the next time and they said, wow, you did that, but how do you know you want to take care of children? Easter Sills camp, children handicapped. I thought that covered it. <laughs> no. So then the next time that I applied, I was waitlisted, by the way, so I do have a little redeeming factor there. The final time that I applied to the PA program, Dr. Henry Silver, who was the program director, um, who scared the living hell out of me, quite frankly, as a student, and like him a lot um, after, during the program, said to me, if you become a physician assistant, a child health associate, are you going to take care of patients, or are you going to be one of those administrative type? And I said, no, of course, taking care of patients, why else would I want to be a physician assistant? And interestingly, that's a very different perspective nowadays, because we need patient care individuals, but we need administrators. And that's one of the real challenges that we'll see in the next several years for the profession. So. When we look at the PA profession over the last 45 years, 43% hold master's degree, and now 40% hold a bachelor's degree. Today's economy, <clears throat> with the issues that are going on with the budgets around the world, the PA profession has had a stellar several years. Forbes.com lists the physician assistant master's degree as the number one master's degree to obtain. To me, that deserves a round of applause. <laughs> Plenty of accolades, CNN, Money Magazine, US World News Report, as well as Kiplinger. The US Bureau of Labor and Statistics projects that the PA profession is the second growing healthcare profession and we're actually gonna have a 39% growth during that time frame. Money Magazine, listing the PA profession in the top 50 jobs. 
This is Robert Wooten, who happens to be our incoming president-elect, and he'll take over the president on uh, presidency on June 10th of this year. And looking at that opportunity from what we heard before of not having an identity, it is clear what our identity is right now. And I think that's really an exciting time. Looking at this, when we talk about the PA workforce, when we look at 1969 to 1972, it was clear we were small potatoes. However, by 2011, there'll be 85,606 graduates <laughs> PA, from PA programs. You'll see in 1999, is actually when we saw the shift, shift there from primarily women. It was really a 50-40 or 50-60, 50-60. It was primarily 50-50, close. You can see all that way. But then it really did change. In 1999 is when we saw that shift. So, from those years that we talked about, what did PAs do and PAs have prescriptive privileges and the ability to practice? Now, all 50 states authorize PAs to practice and prescribe. We have the NCCP exam that we talked about was so much of a challenge to begin. Now, 74,329 are certified by the NCCPA, and the, the mean salary is 93,000, and we expect to have over 103,000 uh, PAs by 2018. That's a stellar growth. This just demonstrates that growth as we continue to look at our mean salary. Now, this is starting in 1995. You know, in 1973, I'm not real sure what the average salary was for a PA. That was? $9,900. You go, girl. Oops. Well, the other ones, put it. 12000 14. Oh, you good girls. 11. 15. 18. Bruce, what did you make? Oh, man. You know, the specialty PAs always make more and they want to hide it a little bit. We'll work on that. So, now this is the mean annual income for PAs who graduated in 2008. And you can see the average salary is anywhere from 75 to 78,000 with the emergency medicine being the highest. Um, internal medicine, 76. Pediatrics, 75. So when we look at the 2009 data, it's actually very similar at the PA new graduate's income with emergency medicine, again, being the highest, followed by dermatology and surgery. Now, that's not really surprising. What's more surprising is that PAs in emergency medicine are making around 85 to 87,000 still, all right? So in any time when the economy is poor, the, the economy is having difficulty, the profession is skyrocketing. So where do we all practice? Mainly hospitals, group practices, and a small percentage in solo practices. The other areas are going to be a real challenge for us, which we'll break into shortly here, but rural community centers, only 8.4%. That's a challenge for us. It's a real issue. Looking at the kaleidoscope one here, again, hospital medicine, looking at uh, multi-specialty uh, physician groups, 
um, as the main areas that people practice in solo practitioners. This actually just breaks it down into much more specific freestanding surgical centers and uh, cor corrective healthcare systems. So small numbers in certain areas uh, that overall, but it, a huge impact. When we looked at specialty practice, dermatology, 3.8%, emergency medicine, 10.3%, and family medicine, which some people would say is not really a specialty, um, which is kind of a funny place to place it. However, it's 24.48%. Now, <clears throat> in doing this, we, par I partly, we partly set this up because many people will say specialty medicine and that PAs are only going into specialty medicine. Family practice, many would consider that as a specialty nowadays, which is a challenge. But we do present it out so that physician organizations see a, uh, PAs practicing in family medicine as well, pediatrics and others. Wow. So primary care is family practice, internal medicine, and pediatrics. So as we see, that number, number has plummeted. And as that number plummets, the number of specialty uh, PAs that work in a specialty is the opposite, all right? So clearly, we follow physicians, we follow money, right? We're not any different than other groups. <clears throat> now, others may try to define what the PA profession is as a result of this. We have organized medicine and other groups saying that <clears throat> excuse me, PAs only work in hospitals. They don't do primary care. Not true, but you can understand how they can say that. This is going to be one of our huge and the biggest challenge and probably the most surprising issue to everybody across the board. So we look at the U.S. federally employed PAs in 2009, and we know that the federal government employs 8.2% of PAs, and that the Department of Veterans Affairs is the largest, single largest employer of PAs in the United States, with 28.6%, all right? Many different sections of the government as well. So where are PAs? The red is the highest concentration area with the light colors being least concentration of PAs where they practice. Keep in mind where those two, those three uh, areas are for the um, PAs who have the lightest color there. Because then when we look at PAs by counties in the United States, the blue area has no PA in that county. And you can see Mississippi, Alabama being major areas of concerns and huge areas and blocks. So this is according to when you register um, and you give us the AAPA information and NCCPA information about where you practice. Now, is it 100%? No, because really I live in New York State, but I practice in Connecticut. So if you're gonna say, where, is my, where am I registered? It may not be 100%, but it's a pretty good indicator. So we have large gaps. Again, the distribution of physician assistance is a major concern, just like that for physicians. So, it was briefly talked about advocacy and how everyone had to kind of promote the PA profession at the very early years. It hasn't changed. Even if you don't support healthcare reform, 
The role of the AAPA is to support the aspects within healthcare reform that's going to allow you to practice medicine and take care of your patients. So within healthcare reform, we are able to get a 15% carve out for PA educational programs in funding primary care medicine. We also received 32 million in PA education between 2010 and 2014. And it'll fund the stipends of educational expenses, living expenses, and indirect costs up to $22,000 per student. <clears throat> Within healthcare reform for the PA provisions, a 10% Medicare bonus for selected primary care codes furnished by a PA. And remember, within the healthcare reform bill, PAs are listed as primary care providers, a very important aspect that was not there before. And that should really be a round of applause for the Academy's assistance with that. And some of the other things that have been, you know, put out there before is the provisions about um, effective 2011 to 2015, the Medicare codes and getting um, some reimbursement for that as well, specifically. So, a snapshot of our current status. So PAs, as you all know, are authorized to prescribe in all 50 states, a big change from what we heard about at the beginning of this discussion. All 50 states plus DC and territories except Puerto Rico are, have prescribing rights. And we are working on Puerto Rico, by the way. We have individuals in the room that have been helpful for that as well. Um, the Academy actually was just down in Puerto Rico about three weeks ago in talking with different legislators and getting some enabling legislation um, to have a PA Practice Act. Uh, so we're going to see where that goes in the next six months or so. Um, 48 states allow you to, including DC and Guam, for controlled substances. Now the two states that don't, Kentucky and Florida. Now, on that advocacy point, we talk about the six key elements that the Academy believes are going to be practice acts within the state that are going to allow PAs to have better practice in order to practice acts in order to take care of their patients. And they're listed here. Licensure as a regulatory term. Physician authorization to delegate prescriptive authority to include scheduled drugs. Scope of practice to be determined at the supervising physician, the PA, and any relevant facility requirements. Adaptable supervision requirements. No co-signature requirement is determined by the practice area. And no ratio limit. <clears throat> we see these as the main issues that have been limiting practice acts with throughout the United States in all the different states. So when we look at that, there is one state that meets all six, Rhode Island. A little bitty guy, right? <clears throat> but clearly we have room for improvement, and this is November 2008. So we have continued to make improvement, and now you see that, again, oops, back. And now you see that one other state, uh, North Dakota, has joined the ranks. So the number of provisions have, incre have improved by November of 2010. When we look at state laws making improvements to the PA laws and regulation, this is the, there's 35 different states here that have made improvements to their state laws. That's a good number. 
So they're making improvements, they're looking at those six key elements to move us forward. States with um, improvements in those laws, actually, this is the one with 35 different states, made those improvements significantly. So we're really happy with that um, over the last two years. So getting the word out. The Academy's job is really to promote the PA profession across the board to all um, healthcare legislators, hospital administrators, insurers. So if there's questions or concerns, that's my job, and that's our job individually as well. So within healthcare reform, we were talking about how long do Americans have to wait. These ads were actually in the congressional quarterly and um, publications within the capital within the capital area in the Hill region. Um, members of Congress make it as make it as easy to care for someone dying as it is to care for someone living. We have some legislation, federal legislation, that I can take care of a patient their entire life. But when it comes to end-of-life care, I can't order that. Now, if I'm in rural Montana, that's a challenge to get end-of-life care at the most important time of a family's um, care for that time frame, to get that care and to delay that care when it's needed the most. So this was an ad to educate legislators. Now, we go to Capitol Hill regularly. We recently had our um, a Hill visit that was in February where we had over 250 PAs that came to the Hill and they lobbied on behalf of the profession. We have three other organizations. We have the American Academy of Family Practice PAs, dermatology PAs coming as well. They'll have around 400 individuals coming to those conferences, and they'll have a lobbying and legislative component to that as well to talk about healthcare issues for physician assistants in their specialty areas as well as things like this. So getting the word out, transforming care is a big job. We should know we're doing it every day. We're really challenged with many aspects within the federal and, leg and state legislation, but we've made great strides. As you saw before from the very beginning, when we did not have certification, we did not have state enabling legislation that allowed us to practice, it's clear that we have those now. They need to be improved, and those six key elements are the ones that we have chosen as a professional organization to move us forward, because those are the areas that are real issues for us. So, challenging misconceptions. If there's anything that I think we do that members ap appreciate the most is when there's a problem in their hospital, within their region, that the academy can help them. I received a call from an individual from Michigan stating that there is a billboard placed up on the highway that said, if you come to this regional center, you'll only see doctors. Interesting concept because it was really between two different regional medical centers and it had nothing to do with the quality care, patient care, or anything else, right? It was a marketing ploy that was used by the hospital. AAPA stepped in within two weeks. This was taken off and removed as well as an apology letter to the PAs in the state. I think that is an amazing opportunity for us. I don't know how many people saw the Today Show. Dr. Nancy Snyderman, who, by the way, has been to our AAPA conference, but her point of reference when she spoke at our conference was in the mid uh, to late 80s. 
What was happening in the mid to late 80s, we were still challenged with many of our practice laws and some prescriptive issues. She made a grave error in saying that PAs cannot prescribe. And within 15 minutes, I'm getting calls from the academy from mem and members saying, did you see? All right? I'm like, duh, no, I'm seeing patients. All right? <laughs> but duh, yeah, I took an afternoon off <laughs> to deal with a lot of the public relations issues that were as a result of this. Now, this was a real challenge for us because not only do we need to get a correction, and we have a written correction, Facebook corrections, other things like that, but we also are investigating now a, not a real public apology, because it's not my need to get an apology from her, but my need is to utilize this as an educational opportunity within NBC to have AAPA, PAs within the state, and to get on the NBC Today Show, and or Dr. Nancy Snyderman has a whole educational program that's all about medicine. So we're looking at those avenues, and those are real challenges. But without having a strong background that you guys have planted for us and moved us forward, this would never have been the possibility. So I'm very uh, unhappy that this happened, but we're trying to make every positive benefit for this. Would you become a PA? 88% says yes. I think that has a great opportunity and challenge for us. When we look at the healthcare landscape and we look at other physician partners, not everyone would be able to say that they have a success rate and please rate that they would get back into that profession again. In fact, we are the only profession that has this rate at this high. So I'd be happy to answer any questions um, and thank you guys so much. We have time for one question. Right, so the High Tech Act where <clears throat> for electronic medical records, um, PAs were left off of the legislation. It was physicians and nurse practitioners, and you get money for signing up for the high tech component, and your office or practice would get that money. So we talked about how that affected not the money component, but how it affected patient care and patient care access issues. What's taken place as a result of that, we are have actually two, a Democrat and a Republican, that are going to be um, introducing legislation to um, have it um, to add PAs to the list. We will be challenged, and it's going to be a very difficult issue because it's not considered budget neutral. That's where our problem is. The Congressional Budget Office wants budget neutral, and it's not a budget neutral issue. But we are challenged by it, and we are following up more details regarding it, and we're talking about it regarding access as well. Um, one of the Connecticut PA students was applying for a job, and they said, well, why would I hire the PA when I could hire the nurse practitioner? And in addition to getting this, the nurse practitioner is going to bring this money into the practice. The PA is not. 
So we talked about how it affects the scope of practice and the ability of PAs to actually have access and patient care access was one of the major messages there. And it is going to be a very large challenge for us.